Well, good morning, church. Let's stand together. Sing this out. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. came along and put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love oh you know it sing it out oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. If you know it's true, just tell him this morning, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. still call me friend cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again oh there's nothing Nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. 
Oh, 
That's our prayer this morning. Right where we are in this place. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to pour your spirit on us this morning. To give us a fresh touch from God. And that you'll use us this week to make an impact in people's lives to spread the message of Jesus across this place. Can we just sing that chorus one more time? Pastor and his family's away on one last minute or one last vacation before school starts. How many how many's got one of those yet coming up? Are we all vacationed out? One more. I got a couple things I need to remind you of. First is today's the last day to order t-shirts. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet downstairs. Um, in the kitchen, you can choose the color, the size, but need to have those in today. $12 a shirt. You can just put the money in your offering, just designate it, or online as merchandise. We have back-to-school outreach that we've been doing. Today probably be the last week, but we're still accepting donations for that. It's about $100 a child to buy school supplies for the whole year. 
And, um, but whatever you can give. We're going to bless some kids and minister to them. On the 22nd of this month is growth track. Um, if you're ready to take your next steps into not just attending, but part of taking ownership of the church, uh, you can sign up online. If you don't know how, you can talk to one of us on staff, and we'll be able to help you with that. And lastly, September 12th is our game day. We have it every year, launch the beginning of football season, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some in-person games. I already got my tickets bought, so crossing my fingers. But on uh, game day, we come, we wear our favorite jerseys, we uh, have a big dinner after church, it's always a great time, so I want to make you aware of that, and I also want to thank you for your continued giving. Uh, even through the pandemic, God is, has been faithful to us, and being faithful to Him is important, and you all have done that, and I thank you for that. There's two ways to give. There's offering boxes in the back, so it's no contact offering, and then online. You can give online at uh, our church center app, thegate.life giving, and... Uh, once again, we thank you for that. So last week, our pastor finished the series that we are on, the summer series. Hard to believe that summer is on its way out. But today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a one-off message, but it's going to be something that God laid on my heart to talk to you about today. So let's pray one more time. We'll bless the offering and we'll play, pray over the service. Dear Heavenly Father, we give our offering as a form of worship to you, as a form of obedience to you, because we know that you have given us everything that we have, and we just give you back a portion as worship to you. Pray that you'll bless it, Lord, for the upbuilding of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, this morning that your spirit will speak to these people, Lord, your servants. And if anybody's lost here, Lord, draw them, sweet Holy Spirit. Draw them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the Old Testament... When somebody sinned, somebody did something that was contrary to God's law, they had to give a sin offering. And they would bring a live animal, had to be without spot or blemish, and they would bring it to the temple. And they would put their hand on the head of that animal and metaphorically transferring their sins from the person to that animal, and the animal would be killed. <clears throat> their blood would be collected. And blood would be sprinkled on either side of the altar, and all the kidneys and the entrails and all that would be burnt on the altar. And once a year, they'd have what they called was the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would atone for the sins of all the nation similar but in a more corporate 
setting. When man sinned in the garden of Eden and fell, and sin entered into the relationship that God had with man, it destroyed it. Because God cannot and will not have a relationship where sin is involved. The sacrifices of the Old Testament would put a temporary covering over those sins so that they would once again be acceptable to God, but it was temporary because eventually the sin would begin to show back through and it had to be repeated again and again and again in order to keep us in relationship with God. We needed a more permanent solution. We needed a more perfect sacrifice. In order for our relationship to be with God as He intended it to be, when he told Israel at Mount Sinai, when he said he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's where Jesus comes in, that perfect sacrifice. That is why we needed him. The animal brought had to be without spot or blemish, so that disqualified every one of us. None of us are without sin. None of us would have been acceptable or in any way of ourselves could reconcile ourselves back to God. And we're going to be talking this morning out of Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to go through the chapter and break it down. And it says in the beginning of verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. The prophecy of a Messiah coming to save mankind had been all the way back in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, after man verse fell, first fell, when it was said that from the seed of the woman would come someone who would bruise or crush the head of the serpent. The very first prophecy. All down through the Old Testament, all down through the ages, the prophets, the kings, all those who are anointed of God made reference to and prophesied of the coming Messiah that would come and restore the kingdom of God. And so now we move to Jesus' contemporary time, and the Jews of that time had a very distinct image of who they thought the Messiah would be, what he would look like, what he would wear, what he would do, how he would come upon the scene, what kind of status he was. But Isaiah says here, who has believed what he heard from us? Who's going to believe that this is the Messiah? Because when Jesus came, he didn't come. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He didn't lay in a king's bed. They laid him in a feeding trough in a manger. 
He wasn't arrayed in king's clothing or wrapped in linen sheets, but in swaddling clothes. The Bible says he had no beauty that anyone should desire him. He wasn't that handsome fairy tale prince come riding on a white horse to deliver them from the Roman rule and the Roman Empire, as some thought he would. Matter of fact, when, when he made his triumphant in, entry into Jerusalem, he came on a donkey, not on a horse. Who's going to believe that that is the Messiah? He didn't even have a home. He said, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Didn't even have a home. He was homeless. He wasn't this charismatic TV evangelist who wore $1,000 suits and Rolex watches and drove Cadillacs. He was a lowly outcast. Who's going to believe that this is the Messiah? And it says that he grew up like a young plant, like a tender plant. He didn't exhume power or influence, but weakness. And like a root out of dry ground, Galilee, where he was born, was not a well-to-do area in the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, it was the wrong side of the tracks to be born on. No power, no influence, nothing. Matter of fact, one of the disciples, when they first met Jesus, they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can really, you really expect me to believe that the Messiah came out of Galilee? It says in verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was despised and rejected. Wasn't a man of status. Wasn't born into nobility. Wasn't highly esteemed. Matter of fact, they said they would hide their face from him. You ever been to a grocery store and you see somebody you really don't want to talk to? So you make a beeline for the next aisle or you hide your face from him. I'm, I'm guilty of that. But that's the way they treated Jesus. He wasn't anyone that they, anyone would want to be around. Because he didn't have the status or the wealth or the influence. They didn't esteem him. They didn't understand the worth. They didn't understand what he was about to do for mankind. That he was the son of God and that this lowly man was going to save the entire world. He was going to be the Savior, the prophesied Messiah that would come and deliver mankind and reconcile them back to God. They didn't recognize him for who he was.
And sometimes I wonder if we would have recognized him. But this man was the perfect sacrifice. And they crucified him. They put him to death. They accused him and they lied about him before the Sanhedrin court and before the secular nobility. They beat him and they struck him with rods. They spat upon him. They made fun of him. They mocked him and they they arrayed him in king's clothing and put a crown of thorns on his head. And when they crucified him and hung him on the cross, above the cross, they hung an inscription that said, the king of the Jews. They did it in mockery. But how ironic. They didn't esteem him for who he was. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. But he came as a lamb led to the slaughter. He came to give his life for you and me. Not to save them from a Roman empire or Roman rule. But from a spiritual oppression. To deliver them from the curse of sin. The king that they had been waiting for. The Messiah that had been told through the generations the perfect sacrifice he paid it all he paid it all for us let's move on to the next next verse here it says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten of god and afflicted He bore our grief. He bore our sorrows. As he walked down the road to Golgotha and he carried that cross upon his back, carried that burden, he was carrying your grief. He was carrying your sorrow. He was carrying your weakness. He was bearing your pain. They thought he was smitten of God like with some disease. They thought he was smitten of God and afflicted by God. And in a sense he was, but not for anything he had done, but for us, for our sins. He became the object of God's wrath in our place. It was our fault. It was our place. The Bible says in Romans, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you here today are still living in that sorrow, still living in that hurt. You feel weak and you feel tired. You don't know if you can get up and go on another day. Some of you are living in depression and anxiety I want you to know that he took that grief and he took that sorrow to the cross for you. And that in the atonement there's more than just salvation from your sins. But he bore your griefs and he carried your sorrows. And I want you to give that to God today and accept the atonement that he made for you. Lay it at the feet of the cross. Lay that sorrow. Lay that grief. Lay that hurt. 
He paid for it already. He paid for your joy. He paid for your happiness. If we move on to chapter 5, we're going to break this one up into four sections. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That word wounded there literally means pierced for our transgressions. Transgression is our rebellion, a rebellion against God, rebellion against God's law, rebellion against serving God. In Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Let's move down to verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart. They knew what was right to do, the Bible says, but they didn't do it and did what they knew was wrong instead. In our nature, it is nature to rebel against God and to rebel against His Word. The, the children of Israel in the Old Testament they had this cycle that they would go on. They would serve God for a while and be blessed. And then as they were blessed, then they would start worshiping idols and rejecting God, rejecting His law. And then they would be overthrown because God doesn't bless sin. And they would fall into servitude and some, some king would come in and rule over them from, a, from another nation. And then they would call on God and repent of their sins. God would forgive them and restore them back to their kingdom, overthrow those that were ruling over them, and then they would be blessed and they'd serve God. And then the cycle would start again. And it would go over and over and over again. Mankind needed somebody that could atone for our rebellion. Somebody that could break that cycle. Somebody that could atone for the great rebellion of mankind against God. And in today's world, we still need that Savior. We still need that atonement that only Christ can provide. We live in a world today that wants to remove God out of every institution 
out of all of society to strip God and His Word from everything because it's offense to them. Rebellious against God. Rebellious against His Word. It's who we are without God. And we needed a Savior. So He paid the price. He was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions. As they thrust the spear in His side and water and blood came spilling out, He endured that to pay for our rebellion against God. Moving on to the second part of the verse, it says, He was crushed for our iniquities. Crushed literally means crumbled beneath for our iniquities. As He was carrying His cross to Calvary, the Bible says at one point He stumbled and fell beneath the weight of the cross. That's the weight of our sins, our iniquities, which is immorality, our perversities. He was crushed beneath the weight of our sins. We live in a world today that is morally bankrupt and devoid of any semblance of the morality that God's Word demands. But can I tell you that Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, that this has been going on for years and years. Before Noah and the flood, People, the Bible says that their imagination of their hearts were wicked continually. They never had one good thought, but every thought they had was evil. Down through the ages, down through the Word of God, we see that mankind is depraved and left to their own devices will do evil and wicked things beyond imagination. We need a Savior, someone who could save, who could handle and carry that great weight for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. Do you know that when you get saved, when you give your heart to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, that your sins are no longer just covered, but they're washed away forever? The Bible says to cast as far as the east is from the west. And if you know your directions, you know that that is an infinite. Never to be remembered again. Never to be brought up again. God's never going to throw it back up in your face. Do you remember when you did this? No. When Jesus' blood washes away your sins, it's not like the blood of an animal that just covers it temporarily. It's gone. And so should be your guilt and your shame because He was crushed so that you could be free from your sin, free from that guilt, free from that shame. And the last part of the verse says, Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. When man sinned, and there was a great gulf that was created between man and God that could not be bridged. Sin had put us at enmity with God because God hates sin. So if we are in sin, there can be no relationship there. There can be no peace there. 
that God had created man in his own image so that he could have a relationship with us. He loved us, and nothing meant more to him, it would seem, than our relationship with him. And the only way to restore that, the only way to reconcile us back to God, the only way to bring peace between us and God was that a perfect sacrifice had to be offered up. He was chastised so that we could be at peace with God. That we could once again have a relationship with God. The God that used to come down in the garden and walk in the garden with Adam and talk with Adam. We can now have that relationship with God once again to be able to come boldly, the Bible says, to the throne room of grace and ask for help in our time of need. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, when he had given his last breath, that the earth shook, and in the temple, the great veil that hung between the holiest of holies and the holy place in the temple was torn in two. The only one that was allowed in the holiest of holies was the high priest, and only once a year after his sins had been covered for himself could he stand before God. But now that we're at peace with God, we ourselves, not needing a a priest to talk to God for us, not needing a priest to go to God for us, we ourselves can walk into the holiest of holies, to the mercy seat itself, and speak to God and experience His presence and live in His presence because He was chastised for our peace. He told Israel at Mount Sinai, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Every one of you to be able to walk in to the holiest of holies and commune with me. And that's what Jesus did for us. Amen. He paid for our peace. I can lay in bed at night and go to sleep at peace because I know that no matter what happens, I'm safe in his arms. I know that no matter if, if I die in my sleep, I'm safe. No matter what tomorrow's going to bring, he's going to take care of it. I know that no matter what situations that I'm in, no matter how great the storm or the trial, that I can be at peace in those because the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. He paid for our peace. He doesn't want you going around anxious and troubled. He said, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. He paid for your peace. And if you're anxious and you're troubled in your spirit, you can give that to God. You can lay it at the feet of Calvary and accept the peace He paid for and the atonement for you. Amen? And then the final part of that scripture says, and with His stripes we are healed. Mankind was sick with a fatal illness. There was no healing for the sinful nature that we had. There was no cure 
we were bound for destruction. But Jesus, when they put the stripes on his back, they, a Roman whip, they would put bone fragments on the end of it so that when it hit you and they retracted, it would rip off flesh and blood would spew out. He took those stripes so that we could be healed and restored, that our spirit could be healed, that our emotional health, that we could be healed emotionally, that we could be healed mentally, relationally, wherever you need healing in your life, He paid for that. And yes, even physically. I've heard... I've had someone tell me before, well, you're taking that out of context. They don't mean physical healing. We're talking about a man that walked the shores of Galilee and healed everyone that he touched. We're talking about a man that was so, had so much the power of God upon him that even his garments, if you could touch them, would heal people. I'm telling you today that God is still in the healing business no matter where you hurt. And yes, there are times where I've prayed for healing and God says it's time for them to go. Yes, there's times I've prayed for my own healing and He's told me my grace is sufficient for you. But at the end all, when we stand before God, after the great resurrection, the Bible says we'll all be given a new body. He's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. We'll all be completely, totally healed. Mind, body, spirit healed because of what he did for us. Because the stripes he took for us. Amen. Let's go on to uh, chap same chapter, but verse 6. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that was before his shearers. He was silent, so he opened not his mouth. And I'm just going to stop for one second. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. When they come to arrest Jesus, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulled out his sword and cut off one of the servants of the high priest's ear. And Jesus healed it, and he said, Don't you realize, Peter, that I could at any moment call for legions of angels to come and rescue me from any of this? But I'm laying down my life. When he stood before the courts, and they cast accusations against him, like lies and mischaracterizations, he opened not his mouth. He wasn't murdered by the Jews. He laid down his life for you and for me because he knew this was the only way that we could be reconciled back to God. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considers 
that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was for the will of the Lord to crush him. The will of the Lord to crush him. Why God? Why our relationship with God was so important to him that he would send his only son, the only acceptable, acceptable sacrifice, to die for a bunch of rebellious, immoral people, thankless people as us. I may never understand in my finite wisdom but it was God's will to crush him so that we could be saved. So he's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. I want to hit on this real quick before I close. Out of the anguish of his soul, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before they came to arrest him, the Bible says he was praying and there appeared on him sweat like great drops of blood. He was in great anguish. He knew what he was about to go through. He knew what he had to experience, what the cost of mankind's souls would be. And he was in anguish, and he prayed, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way where I can avoid this, then he said, but yet not my will, Lord but yours be done. Anguish, if you look at the root of that, it's like travail, like a woman giving birth. Though she's going through extreme pain and extreme suffering, she knows at the end of that she will be holding a newborn baby in her arms and she'll forget about all the pain and all the suffering. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because the joy that was set before them, through the suffering, through the pain, through the beatings, through the mockery, through the impalement, he was looking down through time and he saw you and he saw me and he saw us sitting here today and worshiping God, saved of our sins, bound for heaven, delivered, set free. He saw the millions of souls that would be changed, lives that would be transformed because of his sacrifice, because that joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He became the sacrifice because he saw you. You were his motivation. You were what got him through that dark hour. Because he loved you that much, 
and he loved his father that much. And he knew through what he did, we could be reconciled back to God. Do you know the scripture says that when one soul gives their heart to the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. There is a great celebration in the halls of heaven when one soul comes back to God. His travail and his pain and his suffering is worth it when he sees you come back to God. Let's finish chapter 53. It says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil and with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressions. His atonement allowed us to now be the children of God, to be adopted in. The Bible says that we are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father today. And the Bible says he's our great high priest who is even still making intercession before the Father for us. He paid it all. He paid it all. And all you have to do, all we have to do, is accept the free gift that he gave. When he hung on the cross and with his last breaths, he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. The final sacrifice the permanent sacrifice had been made. And for you, your sins were finished. Your grief and your sorrows were finished. Your transgressions were expunged. Your iniquities, they were cast as far as the east is from the west. Your peace was paid for. You were made acceptable before God. The devil's hold over your life was finished. It was done. The curse of sin over your life was gone. And now you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. And can I tell you, he didn't suffer and he didn't die for you to continue to live in sin, for you to continue to live in defeat in pain and sorrow and anxiety and depression. He paid for that all at Calvary. And today, all you have to do is accept what he's already paid for. Quit fighting a fight that was already won 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. Lay it at the feet of the cross. So as they begin to play some music, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he's already paid for your sins. All you've got to do is accept it. Confess he's the Lord Jesus. Confess you're a sinner. Ask him into your heart to forgive you.
It's that. It really is that simple. Or if you're saved, but yet you're living a life of sorrow. You don't have peace. You can't sleep because you're struggling and worrying about things. Bring it, bring it to Calvary. You need healing in your life. You're an emotional wreck. You're mentally struggling. You're physically hurting. Bring it to Calvary. Bring it to the foot of the cross. You still feel like you're carrying the guilt and the shame of stuff you've done in the past. That's the devil. That's not God. Bring it to Calvary and leave it there. So as they play, whatever your need is, the altars are open. Consider this, the foot of Calvary. He didn't die and purchase all these things for you, for you to go on living the way you are. Come and pray. We'll have people pray with you. And we'll believe God for you. And we'll accept his atonement and claim it over your life. Amen. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead.
Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe where sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow one more time oh praise the one oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead oh it's Jesus amen how many is thankful for the atonement how many is thankful for what Jesus did for us? Amen. Can we just let him know how much we appreciate him? And that we don't take it for granted. Amen. We love you all. We appreciate you all. We pray that you go out blessed. Live in the victory that he paid for. And we hope to see you back next week. We appreciate you all.